0: so settling into this retreat form for many of you i expect it will be a chance just to um, regenerate boost your practice maybe there's some new things or some old things to remember and bring to mind and deepen newcomers perhaps you have to begin to try to understand some of the concepts the language that are being is being used today i'd like to talk a little more about some of the foundation of our experience in which fundamentally to be experienced something is to be conscious of it Uh, and consciousness comes through um, six bases here the eye the ear the nose the tongue the body and the mind and so of all these the most dominant one is the mind consciousness because that's the one you can't switch off and body consciousness also can go uh, dormant but is potentially even if you're asleep you can get bodily sensations coming in to wake you up so these are the two crucial ones that have feeling they feel and feeling or vedana everything has got a certain push to it pleasant feeling pushes us forward painful feeling pushes us back what does it pull forward and push back? It pushes forward and pushes back something we call chitta. Um, this is termed sometimes mind, but it's not the thinking mind. It's the seat of awareness. It's the seat of heart, of our impulses, our intentions, our responses, our reactions, our aspirations, um, our love and our aversion, our worries and our joys. So this is the area that the Buddha said this is what you need to get clear um, because in this domain, this domain of chitta of heart, you can be experienced the results of actions that you did 10 years ago. You can be experienced the results of particular habits that you've adopted over a lifetime you never really examined. Results of things that happened to you and you were shocked and so you're still acting in that particular way. Because chitta also remembers or stores up what's been felt. Mm -hmm. So we get chitta becomes trapped or bound or encased in its own long term interpretations, just as we can have a long term grudge or a long term fear or a fond memory that makes us feel happy or a a beautiful aspiration that we can return to over time. Chitta can prolong this realm of the heart isn't affected by time whereas the external senses are very much bound up in time the jitta is not bound in time which means it can remember its beauty and also can remember its terror and so this is a very mixed area and the theme is you need to uh, uh, focus on what's beautiful comfortable uplifting uh, calming steadying so that the jitta can actually begin to release some of the inherited problematic qualities and this also is possible if there were no release from these habits and um, ingrained perceptions and worries and fears and so forth then there would be no point in cultivating but there is release and as the Buddha said, nothing can do you so much harm as an ill-trained or an untrained citta. Uh, a citta that hasn't been cleaned, hasn't been groomed, hasn't been cleared, hasn't been looked after, hasn't been nourished, hasn't been fed. It can be a real, very ugly, tangled, painful, hurt, crushed mess. <laughs> and nothing can do you so much good as a well-trained citta, a heart that's bright, spacious, joyful, uh, resilient, and and, and, uh, isn't easily shaken. So he said, therefore, a wise person looks to train their citta. Um, So this is essentially one of the aspects of right view. There is such a thing as good, which brightens and strengthens the citta, such a thing as bad, which crushes and defeats it and causes it to be uh, unhappy. And the nature of these things is when the chitta is in a good state, it receives the good, it tends to produce the good, if it's wise. Now, if it's in a happy state, it tends to not be worried and and angry and upset. Uh, If it's a negative state, it can be cynical, depressed, malicious, and so forth. So we can keep acting upon old ingrained habits, This is called the law of karma. That is, as our chitta has acted, those particular qualities of action become ingrained, established. So a greedy person tends to keep becoming greedy and seek more things to satisfy themselves with. A generous person tends to enjoy and become generous and happy because they find pleasure in that. So... Because the good is essentially more satisfying, more wholesome, more uh, life fulfilling, more beautiful, (laughs) once we touch into it, then definitely once one accesses the good and begins to really uh, establish it, it has a nourishing effect and it really causes us to develop along that line. The good that we haven't discovered, we find we can discover because the good we have done begins to open the door to the good we haven't yet done. And so this is the natural process called liberation. And the Buddha likened it to the way that rain will fill up a stream, a stream fills up a river, a river fills up a lake, a lake fills up the great ocean. So small actions constantly sustained, build up a stream of good that goes into a lake and a lake goes into a... A river and into the ocean so this is how in this way it's possible to arrive at truly deeply fulfilling and bright and spacious states through a natural process of touching into the good and sustaining it this is the difference in cultivation and a kind of unskillful desire well, we want to have the ocean we want to get to the ocean but we don't cultivate enough rain. <laughs> if you don't cultivate enough or not rain, it won't get there. You know, if it's not raining, there's going to be no water. But if you keep the rain coming down, it's going to get there. You know, if you unplug any obstacles in the streams and rivers, the water is going to get there and fill up. So most of our practice is about tuning to the good and unblocking the obstructions that cause the chitta to be distracted and, and unclear. So. This is an aspect of what's called right view, and right view uh, crystallizes uh, intention. So what is felt arises, uh, and that triggers particular kinds of intentions: um, intentions towards greed or generosity, towards aversion or loving kindness, um, towards sympathy or towards cruelty. Yeah. So. It's important that we begin to cultivate these right intentions or right attitudes um, because these will tend to steer the chitta's energies in particular ways and so the three foundational principles of right intent are intention that doesn't derive isn't tethered to the sensory world because this is a bit of a sidetrack. You know, if we're seeking happiness in our sensory world, then we're not really going to be looking in the right place for where it can actually be fulfilled. And, uh, of course, the happiness that comes from sense contact tends to be rather transitory. So the Buddha is saying, well, you know, incline away from that and here the principles we have here in retreat are first of all just to gather into the heart, to restrain the outgoing senses and to unclutter. These two, restraining and uncluttering are what are called renunciation, it means you just simplify because you've got less stuff out there to have to deal with, unclutter. And then there's more opportunity for the heart to open and to restrain that immediate pulling out into the senses. You say, wait a minute, how good is this going to be? How much happiness will this bring me? And also what kind of energy goes out? Because in principle, in Buddha Dharma is it's not what you get, it's how you get there. Obviously, so... Because the how you get there is, that's the intention, right? Is the intention manipulative? I'll get this however I can. Is it insensitive? Get out of my way. I want this. Is it, uh, you know, or, or, or is it uh, compulsive? I've got to have, I've got to have, I've got to have another one of those. I've got to have another one of those. Or is it, okay, that's offered. It's suitable. It's yeah, I can make use of that. That's good some of that so the sense of modesty one's appetites yeah this is useful I'll take that as much as it's necessary this is renunciation or nikama so we're not just immediately buying the immediate message of sense contact even though the feeling arises from sense contact the mind picks up that and actually you review that It's not worth that much, really. Or if it's worth something, then how I go to that is extremely significant. Because that's that's what's going to stay with me. The other aspect of um, right intentions are, first of all, intention that's not based upon harming anything. Harming other people, harming animals, um, even harming one's own heart. So you act in in uh, insensitive ways, demanding ways towards yourself, yeah. Such as when you're always pushing yourself to get things done, there's a certain overriding your body's condition, and so people push themselves and stress themselves out. Mm. So this is actually harmful, and many people don't even really realise that, or do it anyway and take something as an antidote to the amount of damage they do themselves rushing around and stressing themselves out. Partly because of course in the world many people are just more or less hooked up to these systems, work systems that are quite damaging in their relentless drive. But on retreat time you can begin to unhook any of that including the way you know if you're meditating the sense of forcing yourself to got to sit through pain got to do so many hours just wait a minute back off just take a break let's review that you know so we always try to act from a well-considered understanding of what is my welfare even it means i've got to work a bit is it reasonable is it a good quality that I feel comfortable with? And we'll begin to look at how you can understand that. Because there is such a thing as vigorous effort, there's also such a thing as resting quietly, and such a thing as just gently applying yourself. There are different kinds of efforts you can make, but they're all aimed at what is good and nourishing in different ways. The last kind of right intent is to refrain from cruelty. Now, cruelty is, this is the English translation of it anyway, A is to do with um, not having any empathy. So if I see, say, an animal and I don't see it as a sentient creature that fears pain, that likes to live, if I see it just as a an item, I could shoot it people do. People go hunting, not because they need to eat, just because they enjoy chasing and hunting animals. They don't ask the animal, would you like to go for a hunt today? <laughs> no, there's no, there's no sense of negotiation or empathy for the animal they're hunting. Yeah. So you're just going to kill it because they don't realise or don't really take into account The animal is just like me, you know, it has sense organs, it it wants to live, it doesn't want to die, it it gets frightened, and what gives me the right to kill it? And yet people do hunt creatures and shoot birds that have done them no harm and kill fish, you know, that have done them no harm, not even because they need to eat them, just for the fun of it. So this is an example of cruelty. And... (laughs) course it doesn't stop with with other animals it's also it's other human beings the world has been at war for thousands of years I don't think there's ever been a time when the entire world has been peaceful there's always a war going on and when the war goes on the people you're attacking you don't see them as my brothers and sisters otherwise you wouldn't do it you see them as the enemy and you give them a name, a nationality, or a dogma, you know, and then they, they're no longer people you have sympathy with. So you, you can shoot them. And not only that, you can torture them. We have examples of people torturing other people, deliberately wanting to cause them pain. Uh, so this is a gross example, but there's also the, the insensitivity we can have When you're living in a city with three million people in it you tend to basically get through the day by basically ignoring people because it's just too much if you've got to go out down a busy street it's just too much so you just switch off ignore people get to where you need to go and so though it isn't cruelty there's a withdrawal of empathy which makes it possible to be cruel it makes it possible in other words, when everybody's driving down the, the, the highway and then the traffic slows down or somebody's driving slowly, people get angry with them. They don't consider why is she driving slowly, because she's old or she's not in a hurry or something. Like I don't know. I don't even ask. I said get out of my way. <laughs> and somebody was telling me, you know, very, telling me very agreeable woman, she was shopping and shopping in the street, say in a local town, and as people are rather elderly, you know, 70 or so going shopping and they're walking rather slowly and she gets, she's got this thought in her mind, get out of my way, get out of my way, old people get out of my way, I want to get to the shops, I'm going to get my shopping done. And she was shocked to hear this voice in her mind doing this, you know, people fighting in sales over who gets the best bargain. You know, so we cut off fellow feeling and we can do that. And then we treat each other, we swear at each other, insult each other uh, and even physically harm each other. And also we can even do this to ourselves. And that's also the law of karma. As you do to others, you do to yourself because you've trained the mind to act in a certain way. Therefore, it acts in a certain way. So we become insensitive to ourselves. We push ourselves. We brutalise ourselves. We bury ourselves in kinds of clutter and stuff that that becomes um, overwhelming. And all this can be cleared. So there can be a sense of openness and lightness and warm-heartedness and uh, gentleness and sensitivity, which is a reward in its own right. To arrive at the good heart is a reward in its own right because it's a reward of a lifetime you know if, if that good heart has developed over a lifetime it doesn't change in time even as your body passes or dies and passes the good heart remains the Buddha said this is your fortune this is your treasure house cultivate this invest in this and you can get the best results and you do this through this right intention thing now, how do we know right intentions? right intention, you know, really other than just an idea? How do we get to feel it? How do we get it so it becomes deeply established, not just as an idea that we try to remember? And this is where it's useful, and I think very significant, to, to recognise the role of the body, or we might say the nervous system. So, you like to put it another way you have psychology which is the mental aspect and you have neurology which is the physical aspect and the two work to fit together around intention because intention isn't just a a vague idea in your in your head intention is is that movement in your nervous system when your mind picks up and it goes out to do something right so an intention is always felt in the nervous system, as a, something moves up, or it moves back, or it rushes, or it changes, as an actual neurological effect to right intention, samasankappa, is a neurological effect. And so, this is most powerfully uh, encouraged in meditation, where the neurological effects can be extremely comfortable and happy to the point when physical discomfort it seems insignificant and uh, thinking dies down because we're listening to the neurological effect and we don't the conceptual stuff we're not even interested in anymore we're not fighting it we're not distracted in it we're dwelling in the happy body and the buddha says you know if the body is refreshed and relaxed the chitta is happy if the chitta is happy it is collected into itself it is concentrated you don't you don't concentrate it it concentrates itself by being collected in this agreeable neurological and psychological blend and it says it's impossible for one of right intent if your intention is right it is impossible but that right intent will give rise to a a bad feeling. And if you're cultivating a bad intention, it's impossible to give rise to a good feeling. But you have to know where the feeling is. The feeling is in your nervous system. You know, so a lot of meditation, embodied meditation, is about entering, steadying, unfolding, soothing and brightening this Psychological, neurological combination. Hmm. Now, so this is done through what's called yoniso um, manisikara or careful attention. Careful attention. Yoniso manisikara. Attention that, how are you feeling with that? It just checks, and what's that happening? What's happening? Am I getting tense? Am I getting relaxed? Am I? Getting, am I distracted? Am I agitated? Because the neurology is always truthful. It tells you exactly what you're feeling. It it doesn't know how to lie. Whereas your thinking mind can be very deceived and and confused. So tune in to the neurology of it. What are you talking about? Well, okay, so um, essentially, you know, we have, obviously, we know we have nerves. Now, why I didn't talk about neurology in time of the Buddha? They didn't have a word for it because I don't think they knew what nerves were. If you cut the body open, you don't see nerves. They're much too thin. But they knew the effects. These effects are called sankhara, uh, formative effects. And chitana, as a neurological effect, gives rise to a certain movement in the nervous system. As we know, with something like fear, you know, tightening in the belly, everything heightens up, anger, flushing in the face, yeah. love, things relax and open up, joy, it's a brightening in the chest. Yeah. We know these experiences very well. Now, one of the senses of what we call the upright body, the upright body and the upright mind, is to basically get the neurological and psychological system to be balanced and steady you know now most obviously this is through sitting upright or standing upright and there's a question about reclining and you can i say you can even recline with an upright mind <laughs> so it, it, it it's obviously there's an advantage in in sitting upright but sometimes it's just too difficult for people and people do mention this but essentially you know you've got the the central column of your body is your spine right spine pelvis spine got ribs and you want to get a sense of that spine is where all the nerves or a lot of nervous system is centering around that spine but it also covers the entire form yeah it's all connected and you have the central which is to do with conscious decisions and you have what's called the peripheral, which is to do with just processing effects. So there's a shock effect, everything jumps. Mm-hmm. There's a relaxation effect, everything soothes down. It's called peripheral, it affects everything, it affects the organs. So if you're in panic, sometimes your, you know, your stomach feels upset. You know, you get because the chemicals and whatever it is, your stomach, your physical organs begin to contract. And if you're doing a lot of stressful stuff in your life, the amount of adrenaline that's pumping through that system is going to affect your organs and the nerve endings and cause damage. You know? right? And you have in this kind of automatic nervous system, you have two fundamental processes. One is called the sympathetic, which means you're affected by something and there's some kind of response somebody gives you something and something lights up oh very very nice you know you get that good intent somebody curses you and something else happens to get sympathetic means you get a sort of a feedback which causes a certain stirring good or bad and you have what's called a parasympathetic the parasympathetic system basically surveys what's happening in the sympathetic system It's all oh, feeling quite tense now relax so as parasympathetic supervises what happens in a sympathetic system so just relax yeah. but it does mean you have to cover the system you know be aware of the whole system and forget the topic but just deal with the nervous energy this nervous energy is quite intense and then what's needed And in a way, the system relaxes by referring to a wider and wider span of the body to include the ground beneath and the space around. And that that widening causes the energy to soothe and dissipate and discharge until we come back to a normal balance. So that's kind of the way the system works, if it works. But uh, unfortunately, what can happen is... We don't really use our parasympathetic, we're just constantly being affected and responded and we don't give time to, well, how am I? How is that feeling? Okay, let's just come to rest state. Because, you you know, if you're very busy, you, you tend to not do that. This is why we meditate, to give ourselves time for that parasympathetic to just cover how... The general feeling in our nervous system and our moods and emotions, and just parasympathetics. Oh, feels a little bit depleted. Mm, let's see what's you know, and just help to softly be aware of that in a receptive, responsive way, and then the, the stress begins to ease out and refreshment comes in. How does refreshment come in through breathing? So. This process I've talked about, if you don't mind me using this neurological jargon, is to do with regulating. So you know we come into a very high state, hyper state, active state, we want to go to a steady state, it has to be regulated, so oh, this is too high, let's just let it come down. And this you can't do through thinking, you've got to do it directly through the nervous system referring to itself in a sympathetic way. Just okay it means you generally stop input you know that's the first rule pause don't do any more because you're already too high too activated you don't need more input stop the input instead refer to the activated state how is this just widen your attention include your whole body Slow down, soften your intentions, and relax. Let it relax. Don't force it to relax. It will relax if you keep that attitude in mind. That's a simple model. Of course, unfortunately, just saying, stop the input isn't always so easy because the mind keeps saying, but what about this? But well, what about that? And she said this, and I've got to do that, and I can't be this and I never do that. What am I supposed to do now? It keeps adding more and more input. <laughs> so stop, stop, stop. So so what we do is say, okay, well just focus on breathing. Because breathing is the regulator of the body. Right? The process of breathing Breathing in, breathing out, regulates the nervous energy in the body. So, okay, don't bother to discover why it's this and whose fault it is and what you're going to do. Just take an out-breath. And the out-breath has got this discharging quality to it. And the in-breath has got a brightening quality to it. It regulates, which means it tends to cool the overstimulated and the in-breath begins to brighten the understimulated by itself. So... The theme of mindfulness of breathing is to regulate so that our bodily system comes into a balanced, moderated state. And in that moderated state, the mind, the heart, mind, awareness, if it it tunes into that, has the deepest potential to naturally and spontaneously give rise to beneficial psychologies, such as kindness, such as simplification just don't leave that alone enough for today switch it off you know such as sympathy oh, i'm so grateful to meet so-and-so today or oh, she helped me out me hey, pleased. i'm so happy for that you know we have sympathy empathy we have concern we have a sense of warmth and we don't keep cluttering our minds with more and more topics to think about and worry about so this is how these right intentions are carried through to a fulfilment. Mindfulness of breathing is about this. Well, it's one of the main things it's about anyway. Now, yeah, but there are details around that too. <laughs> because, uh, you know, sometimes people can't breathe properly. You know, that basically what's happening is they're so stressed out, they don't know how to really Breathe out completely. It's as if the neurology in the in the breathing system has got locked. So we have to train a little bit. Yeah. And in our practice, the saying suggestion, the you know the activator, the physical activator of breathing is in the diaphragm. The diaphragm is this sheet, like a rubbery sheet, that sits underneath, just at the bottom of the rib cage. Yeah, it's like it goes across the body, under the rib cage, and it's sort of like a sheet, but the back of it trails down to connect to the ligaments and muscles along the back. Mm-hmm. This is why when you get a shock, you get gripping in your, in your belly and it shoots down into your legs, because the action, that tensing up in your diaphragm, pulls down to the nerves that go down into your legs. I guess it's something to do with being prepared to run away you know so you get that shock, jump you know you feel the whole body stiffen up because the diaphragm connects to the spine so it activates everything goes into red alert um, so if we you know give some centering attention around the diaphragm particularly in the back where it connects to the spine so you roughly you say you put a fist the top of your pelvis and put another fist on top of that there of your second fist somewhere around about your kidneys you know that's a that's a good place to start your attention as you breathe in you'll feel as you breathe in you'll feel a sense of something starts to trickle down your back and as you breathe out similarly you get a similar effect because the effects of the breathing go down your body And they go up your body. So it goes in two directions. And so this is really the, you know, the breathing is not really much to do about the air, but to do about the neurology of that rhythmic process of breathing in and breathing out. And this will certainly affect your psychologies, It will affect your mental balance. And of course, the other way around, you know, your psychologies, if your attitudes are to do with, Generosity and kindness, and so forth. Just say, well, when you when you get that sense, generosity, kindness, forgiveness, whatever you know that you feel this feels this feels. Like I really feel this is important. Bear that in mind, and notice how your breathing is. Is it pressurized? When you feel grateful, do you feel pressure? Or do your breathing become steadier? So then you begin to literally take in the qualities of your good mental actions, become suffused into your body. And it helps to repair your nervous system, your reflexes. So someone who's deeply drunk in their own goodness is no longer so tense, tight, jumpy, irritable, or... Feel so guilty, you know. Things shift. That's that's the that's the process. Therefore, we should cultivate this way. But do remember that as soon as we get any kind of intention, such as intention to meditate, you're going to be very aware of what that intention feels like. The importance of careful attention. Because what you're attending to, you want to be mindful of. And mindfulness means lingering and keeping it in mind, yeah, yeah. bearing it in mind. So this is so it has a long term effect. Your chitta gets embedded in it. Yeah. Now, very often in our lives, most of our training as social creatures is to do things as best we can to get good results. Yeah, that's part of it and relaxing is considered a bit like lazy but actually when you contemplate your nervous system you have to have the relaxing in order to receptive take in then you can be active without getting strained so every action needs a kind of a soothing quality with it so the action is moderated it's not overactive unfortunately uh, particularly once you get into working life the intentions that are encouraged are those to do harder, more, longer, quicker than before. So you're always revving up your nervous system you know, uh, to go faster, more, harder than you did before. Uh, uh, yeah. So you know. So often people just they don't want to meditate because it's too much work. So you can say, well, actually, in your case need to cultivate the out breath, the relaxing, the reclining, the soothing, just to get back to a middle state whereby there can be joyful effort, there can be occasional times when we really have to resist something and there will also be a time when you just let everything rest so your, your effort is moderated so you stay whole, intact and, and uh, you feel encouraged And you bring forth the fullness of your potential, both to be receptive and to be active and engaged. So I hope you can remember some of this to inform your your meditation practice. And perhaps we'll touch into these themes uh, over the next few days as they arise in, in more detail. Thank you.